Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind him. Davis with motion by Richard. Will get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. Finley to throw. Over the middle. Intercepted. Wolfuck again. Wolfuck the other way. At the 30. The 40. Wolfuck to midfield. Miles Wolfuck with the pick. The heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory. Left side of the line. Hood standing to Williams is right. Williams gonna throw. One on one. Davis has it. Touchdown. Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's gonna take it. for the possible win. Snap, spot, kick away, high enough, long enough. It's good! It's good! Carolina has won the game on a 42-yard field goal by freshman Hunter Barth. Good gosh, dirty! This is the Heel Tough Blog What's going on, guys? It's another edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Anthony Pagnotta, Josh Marlowe with you, and time to officially put a bow on the 2023 season for the Tar Heels on the football side of things. And uh, I got to be honest, after the other night, um, I never thought I would say this at 6-0. and Thank God this season is over. Um, because this is a, another complete disaster for Carolina to close out this season. We're going to talk through all of it. We're going to talk as much as possible about the game because, look, we've got a plenty of offseason. We're going to talk about the future uh, of this staff. Um, not sure when they're going to make staff decisions. We waited a little bit, not for that reason. Um, Josh has been dealing a little bit under the weather, so we wanted to make sure uh, that we had him for this edition of the podcast uh, at as full strength as possible. We've been doing a whole bunch of shows on the air and everything like that, so uh, you know it's it, it's definitely been a pretty packed week, but um, we're glad that we're here with you guys tonight, uh, here an hour before Carolina tips off on the basketball side of things against Charleston Southern, so we'll take you right up to uh, the start of that game here on the podcast Uh End it with a a little positivity, getting you ready for that game, uh, because this one is certainly not going to be fun. Um, But yeah, let's let's dive into the actual game itself and what happened the other night. And this was one. Look, I don't think that the final score probably reflects what this game was. Um, Now, I I mean, it it, it would reflect what you thought it was going to be after the first play, where West Virginia literally comes out scores on a 75-yard touchdown. And I think at that point, all of us were kind of concerned about what direction is this game going to go for the Tar Heels. But they move the ball pretty consistently throughout the night. They get across midfield on eight of their 11 drives. But the name of the game for Carolina in this one, much like some of the games that we've seen in Bank of America Stadium before for Carolina, is that they just cannot turn it into points. Those eight drives resulted in just two scoring drives. Now, granted, 
Carolina only made it to the red zone three times, which is, I mean, that's an even more damning stat that you were across midfield on eight different drives and you only found a way to get to the red zone three times. It's not like you were hitting big plays down the field for touchdowns either. Um, but look, you know, we got a ton to talk about on that front with Connor Harrell, um, you know, some of the receivers that stepped up, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but I mean, just overall, I mean, I don't know. I, I've seen a lot of people that have said that this is a game that wasn't really unexpected because of all the guys that were out. Um, but at the same time, it, it still it feels a little disappointing when you get beat by 20. And, you know, once again, Carolina on the scoreboard at least gets hammered in another game. Look, if, if Drake May would have played and Cedric Gray would have played and you were at full strength, if you, if you had a tight end room, and you go out and you can beat 30 to 10. I think you've got a lot more to be upset about. Your generational talent at quarterback didn't play. Your leader on defense didn't play. You had no tight ends, scholarship tight ends that were available to play. Other guys in and out of the game as well. And so that result was always on the table and more than likely going to be the end result because, you know, West Virginia was 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 – without their leading rusher, but, you know, their second leading rusher who was very close to being their leading rusher played, their quarterback played, their best defensive player played. Um, and that game meant a lot more for Virginia than it meant for Carolina uh, because for where this Virginia roster is going into next year, this is momentum for them to maybe be a dark horse in the new look Big 12 with Oklahoma – Texas departing for the SEC. For Carolina, it was a chance to evaluate your roster um, and figure out where you got to you got to get better before next season. Um, and you you learned it the hard way because you got beat by twenty. But you know, if if, if you, you I, I still came away from that game seeing enough in Connor Harrell to believe in him to be my starting quarterback next year. You got to see young guys like, you know, Martin Campbell, Caleb Cost. They stepped up and make plays. You saw Chris Culliver make plays at the wide receiver position. Like, you saw Gavin Blackwell make plays. You saw the future of this team in a limited sample size make an impact in, in a game. Did it impact the scoreboard? No. Um, and, and ultimately, that's what matters in 2024. Like, would you have liked to win the bowl game? Sure, you would have liked to get to nine wins, but I don't think it would have. I, I don't think it's a it, it's a it's a referendum on on Mac Brown and the staff that they lost this bowl game. Um, and, and so that's what you got to look at it is that a lot of guys that are going to be the faces of the team next year got twelve to fifteen practices to take those reps. They got a full game to put on tape, and now we know a little bit more about the the back end of this roster that we didn't know after the regular season. Well, let's talk about the quarterback. Let's talk about the guy that started this game. And, look, I think he had his ups and downs. I, I think, you know, there were some really good throws, especially deep and intermediate passing games. Um, I mean, he had one early in the game to Gavin Blackwell that I thought was an, an absolutely perfect throw and reminded me a lot of his throw that he made in the Campbell game to Chris Culliver. Um, that's something that I think we knew was in his game. I like the mobility that we saw from him early on. I think he was a little bit limited in the second half, 
in terms of being able to use his legs. One, because the offensive line, which wasn't great all night, but really fell apart in that second half, um, wasn't giving him time. But more importantly, he ends up you know, coming up limp on a play middle of the third quarter and really didn't seem the same after that. You know, he throws two interceptions. I thought the second one was probably the one that you look at and 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 you wonder, is that something that we have to worry about a little bit moving forward? Although it is his first start. Uh, this The first one to Deems May, and look, no offense to Deems May the third, a guy that was a walk-on, a guy that um, played defensive end in high school, didn't even play tight end even when he was at that level. There was a lot on his plate having to go out there and be the starting tight end in this game. Um, it was definitely an overthrow. It wasn't a perfect throw from Connor Harrell by any stretch, and that was one of the things that you noticed throughout the night that he was throwing a little bit high. Um, but I still, you know, I'm with you. I I will say I don't think that he won the job the other night. I think that the door is still open for Max Johnson. To me, it wasn't the type of performance that you saw from, let's say, USC's Miller Moss, who came out through six touchdowns, threw for over 370-something yards in that game. Um, a game that just wrapped up earlier today, the Sun Bowl for uh, Notre Dame. Steven Angeli throws for 326 yards, four touchdowns. It wasn't that type of performance from Connor Harrell, but I do think that you see a lot of things in him that you really like that sort of fit what I feel like Chip Lindsey wants this offense to be. So I feel like Connor Harrell, I'll say this, I would give him a slight advantage heading into this quarterback battle, which he didn't have coming into this one. So there's definitely progress there for him. Yeah, look, did he win the job Wednesday night? No. Did he lose the job Wednesday night? No. Of course not. Um, you know, I think if, if he if he loses the job, it'll be because the turnovers – Carry over in spring ball because mm -hmm. that's the one thing Max Johnson just didn't do at AM. He didn't, he didn't throw interceptions or at LSU. He took care of the football. But you saw an element in the offense that um, I think Carolina um, could, could exploit next year as they're going to be a ground based team, is using his legs because he's got the ability. He's not afraid to tuck it and run. You would imagine that there'd be more designed quarterback runs if he is the quarterback. And, you know, look, the, the, the red zone INT hurt because, you know, you're, you're taking points out of a red zone opportunity. Um, but, you, you you know, the fact, you know, you expected him to be a little bit off because he was making his first start um, in a not a capacity crowd, but there was a live environment there because of all the West Virginia fans that made the trip. But what you got to like is that, you know, even after two picks, the kid fought his tail off. He battled mm -hmm. back. He made some big-time throws that you got to make at this level if you want to be, you know, an above average to, you know, a, a really good quarterback in this conference. And he showed you what he's capable of doing. And that's what you wanted to see is what you had in him. And I think what you learned is that you can win with him next year if you shore up other areas on both sides of the football. Yeah, that's the thing. I, I've seen some people that are saying, oh, it's very obvious that there's going to be a drop off from what you had in Sam Howell and Drake May to whoever the next quarterback is. And it's like, yeah, there's a pretty good possibility that that's going to happen. But if you surround him with the right guys, I mean, you're talking about Amari and Hampton being Carolina's second rusher 
to reach 1,500 yards in a season. Only Don McCauley besides him has done that. So you'll have that guy back in your backfield. You'll have a pretty stocked receiving core. I, I mean, I know you know, you don't have Tez Walker. People are looking for who's going to be that dominant receiver. I don't know if there is going to be a dominant receiver like we've seen at times. Somebody could possibly emerge. Maybe it's J.J. Jones. Maybe Nate McCollum steps up and becomes the guy that we saw him be at Georgia Tech and who he thought Carolina could potentially turn into a thousand yard receiver this year. But I think if you surround him with the right pieces, like you're saying, he showed you enough. He showed you that he has the capabilities. And I mean, the thing that I liked from him the other night, he gave you hope every time he touched the football, right? And that was really all we were asking for from him was give, give this team a chance. Give us, you know, when we're watching something, you know, something of a, a feeling that, hey, this dude is going to be able to drive us down the field. And it felt like just about every time that he touched the ball, Carolina had a chance to drive down the field and score. It's just the efficiency uh, of being able to convert on those opportunities. Now, look, the biggest reason why he it, it's hard to judge him fully on what we saw the other night is because this offensive line went out with a bang. And it's only fitting for this group, the way that they went out. Uh, this offensive line, uh, Greg Barnes t- tweeted this stat out the other day. This is now the fourth straight year that Carolina's offensive line has allowed 34 or more sacks. Only team in the country to do that during that time. There's never been a period of improvement. It's the same consistent uh, consistent struggles. And look, three different offensive line coaches certainly are a factor. But in this game, you're talking about veteran guys that were just horrible. Spencer Rollin, two sacks allowed, six total pressures can happen when you got a quarterback that's making his first career start. The bigger concern is, yes, even though the tackle struggle, that's sometimes if, if the interior offensive line does a good enough job, it'll allow your quarterback to step up and get out of the pocket. Um, the majority of the pressure the entire night literally came right up the middle because the interior of the offensive line was dreadful. William Barnes was so bad in this game He allowed two sacks. They only credited him with two total pressures, which I think is insane, according to pro football focus, that is. Um, I thought he was just downright horrible. And rightfully, he got benched late in the game. That was how bad he was. They said, look, he's playing so bad, we got to kick Willie Lampkin back to right guard and put Chance Carroll to walk on in. And Chance Carroll, I mean, I'll I'll give him his credit. I thought he played well when he was in there. The final couple of drives for Carolina, Willie Lampkin didn't have a great night. He didn't get credited with allowing a sack, but he had a miscommunication at one point on one of those final drives uh, with Spencer Rowland, uh, allows a a rusher to just go through free to Connor Harrell, drop him in the backfield, and even Ed Montalas. I mean, this offensive line, I got to be honest. You know, I know these are guys that have been in the program for a while. They've been through a lot. And they seem, again, some of these guys seem like really great guys, but these are not the best offensive linemen that Carolina could have had. I mean, I don't even know if they're the best offensive linemen they could have had on the field. I like Willie Lampkin. I think he's a guy that, you know, at right guard had a pretty strong season for Carolina. Really, him and Corey Gaynor, I think, are the guys you look at and say had a a solid year for Carolina. But I got to tell you, guys like William Barnes, Spencer Rolland, 
Ed Montalus, the fact that they're leaving the program, I think is honestly probably going to be better for Carolina, especially after what we saw on Wednesday. Yeah, I mean, this this could be something that, you know, you, you thank those guys for what they did and the success they were a part of. But this this might be what this program needs because, mm-hmm. simply put, this level of offensive line play, like if you put, if your offensive line is this bad next year, you're not going to a bowl game, like because you don't have an NFL quarterback back there that can overcome all those things. Uh, luckily, you had that in Sam Howell in the last two years, of course, Drake May, and so um, you know I don't know what it is. Maybe they're not getting guys that truly fit their scheme. Don't know what don't don't know don't do not know what the issue is. Well, here's the thing: what's the scheme? It's changed three consecutive years because you've had three different line coaches. So yeah, I mean, and look, I mean that's that's part of it. But we've we've sat here every time and thought that they upgraded that position coach. Yeah, and the same struggle existed. So maybe maybe it wasn't a coaching issue. Maybe. It's a talent issue, and maybe, you know, these guys simply just aren't that good. Um, You know, Carolina has recruited some highly regarded offensive linemen in the past, so they know how to get good offensive linemen in there. Maybe this is a game that makes them reevaluate what they do in the portal and realize we got to go get a couple hog mollies because we're getting pushed around by a big 12 front. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, this wasn't a vintage SEC defensive line. Or, a, you know, a Minnesota-Wisconsin defensive line out of the Big Ten. And I know West Virginia got very good defensively as the season moved along. But I didn't go into that game thinking you're going to get overwhelmed at the line of scrimmage. They they were without their best defensive lineman. He transferred to SMU. So you thought – look, I didn't think they – I didn't know if they would win that battle down there. I did not think it would be that bad. That was the most sacks they've allowed all season. Was in that bowl game. Like, I and, and Sean Martin – who is one of their leading pass rushers, he gets hurt early in the game. And yet you still got that dominated by that defensive line. Like that, I mean, it just can't happen. You're right. I, like changing the scheme, I think, probably doesn't help because guys have to continue to learn. It, it probably stunted some of these guys' growths a little bit. But at the same time, like you can't allow 34 or more sacks in four consecutive seasons. Like, at some point, there's got to be some sort of improvement, especially when you're bringing the same guys back and they're getting more and more experience. Like, you're starting these guys. It's not like every year you were just waiting and, oh, we're rotating in a couple of grad guys that never really got the chance. No, these guys were playing. And, you know, the two transfers that you got in now, Spencer Rollin was a little bit of a risk because he was an Ivy League guy. But I do go back to the fact that he was recruited by Penn State as well. That was the other team that was in the running for him uh, when he chose Carolina. So, I mean, it's – it's I don't know. I, I think coaching is, is a part of it. It's hard to be too mad about that. But the other part of it, I think, is what you're saying. Guys like Ed Montalus, um, you know, William Barnes. I, I think William Barnes, you know, a guy that was – a borderline five-star, believe it or not, coming out of high school. That was one that the recruiting site simply just got wrong. He, he just, no matter where you played him, he was not a good offensive lineman. Um, so hopefully they will be able to get some new guys in. The thing is, I don't know if they have guys on the current roster that are going to be able to do that because 
I mean, look, you see the injury. Like, the fact that William Barnes even had to play or start the other night, I think is a little bit concerning. I think there's no doubt about that because, I mean, it, you would like to have some other guys, some some younger guys in your system that could have possibly came in. Now, Zach Rice being out certainly didn't help, but you'd like to think, okay, we've got people on the roster that can get it done. So I'm with you. I've said it. I said it after they landed Austin Blasquet, the transfer from Georgia. You still have to get at least one other guy in the transfer portal. That is starter caliber. That I think, I, I think guaranteed has to be one of your starters. So I don't know. They don't seem like they're too aggressive right now there. I haven't heard any other names they've been tied to. But I think at some point you're, you're going to have to go out and find somebody that you feel confident with along the offensive line. Now on the defensive side of the ball, I mean, this was a weird game because defensively, believe it or not, you got off to a pretty strong start after you let up the 75-yard touchdown, which was just, I mean, look, it was man coverage. Guys got crossed up. Uh, you know, great route by the wide receiver from West Virginia whose name is escaping me at this point. Um, but Amani Chapman in coverage just simply gets beat. And you let up a 75-yard touchdown on the first play of the game. After that, Carolina really did a great job of responding. Um, and I thought gave themselves a good opportunity until the really the end of the half. They made a couple of mistakes. You have the punt that bounces off of Christian Hamilton on special teams. That leads to a field goal for West Virginia. And then you have the drive right at the end of the half where Carolina just proceeds not to – really not to defend. Um, and it leads to uh, it, it leads to a field goal for West Virginia. I mean, this was a game that, you know, Carolina's defense in the first half did a good job of keeping them in. And if you're able to convert the opportunities that you have in the first half, maybe you're able to take advantage of it. But when you get to that second half, I mean, it's much the same. This team had over over a month off because the last game, that's right, was on November 25th. They had over a month, and yet this team looked completely worn out by the end of the game. They allowed 379 yards of total offense. Garrett Green tears them up, especially in that second half. He completes 11 of his 22 passes for 204 yards and a touchdown. Runs for 75 yards on nine carries. So they were hitting, he, he was hitting big plays down the field in the passing game, ripping off big runs in the running game. Uh, Carolina allowed five plays of 15 or more passing yards, uh, which again, just shows you that's something that really wasn't a huge issue for Carolina for the majority of the season. But as they started getting later and later in the season, really the last two games, especially this defense started letting up some of those big plays I mean, what did you make of, of what we saw from this defense? I mean, at this point, I don't think anything really shocks us with this side of the ball. Um, but I thought, you know, I, I liked the fight early in the game from this group. But then as the game wore, wore on, it, it looked like a unit that once again was just worn out, including some of your best players on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, I mean, I, I think – you know, when, when Carolina made it 14 to 10 before, right before halftime, you felt really, really good. And then you let them drive down the field in 18 seconds and kick a field goal. And it's just like you made all those stops to keep you in the game while your offense was trying to find its footing. 
and then it finds its footing, and then in 22 seconds it all goes to, you know, it all blows up. Um, you know, it's it's what happens when you you can't win up front consistently. Mm-hmm. You can't get, you know, you 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 can't stop the run. And you've got, you know, a, a young guy playing at linebacker, a young guy playing at corner. Um, guys that stood, you know, that, that, that were making plays, but at some point they're going to make a mistake. They're going to have a blown assignment or whatever, and it's going to cost you. And, you know, it, it's. Well, the problem is, is, like, you're talking about Caleb Cost. Caleb Cost was the best defensive player out there. Yeah, you know, they, 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 they played really well, but they're, like, they're not ready to play. 65 70 snaps at that level because they hadn't done it yet and so you know that's where the experience factor comes in and um you know i I think like i i knew going into this game like if carolina would have won the game it would have probably been you know 48 42 38 35 like because you just had no faith that they could that they could stop anybody um and they couldn't stop West Virginia the other night in the second half when they needed to. And, you know, this is the side of the ball. There's there's not a clear answer. Like, I don't know what you're supposed to do. You can fire the coordinator. Is that going to fix anything? I don't know. Um, you've recruited that ball over that side of the ball. You know, you brought in five-star talent at virtually every level of the defense, defensive line, linebacker, defensive back. That hasn't fixed anything. You went into the transfer portal and you've gotten what you thought were impact players on that side of the ball. And it's still the same thing we've seen for a decade. And that's what's frustrating is that you can look at the offensive side of the ball and say, it's easy to see where you get better and how you get better. Don't know how you get better defensively. And maybe this is just in this era of football, we need to understand we're not Bama, we're not Georgia. We're not Michigan. We're not going to be competitive on that side of the ball on a consistent basis. Uh, I just, to me, there, there's no way. Like, that. that's not the mindset that you can take if you're Mac Brown and if you're this program in general. Like, you have to take the mindset of we've got to find a solution. I think you're right. I ultimately, trying to figure out, well, if you tweak this. Like, there's no, there's no certain fix you can't say well this is what you have to do if you fire this guy fire this guy you know make a change here add somebody at this position all of a sudden this team's fixed um I will say this I think there is one obvious and we've said it multiple times and again I whenever we bring this up and we when we talked about them last year I, I feel looking back on it I feel Pretty, I'm not going to say bad, but I, I feel like I was very aggressive towards him. Like Tim Cross seems like a great man. He really does. He's the you know he he took over for Mitch Mason as uh, as the uh, the chaplain, the team chaplain. He seems like a guy that people gravitate towards. He's a really really good recruiter. I mean, look at the guys that he's brought in. But ultimately, I think that is one obvious move that you have to make. This was a game where the defensive line needed to step up. You needed to put a really strong performance together in this one. You had a month off. You had a chance to get guys rested. That's a group that you rotate more than any on this defensive side of the football. And yet that group looked like maybe the least prepared group outside of the offensive line that was on the field for Carolina the entire night. 
Um, I get it. Man, Cayman Rucker, you know, he, he still played just a ton of snaps for Carolina. I mean, Cayman Rucker in this game uh, played 58 snaps, which is every snap on the defensive side of the football. So for Cayman Rucker to play that many snaps, it's it's still something like at some point, like I get it, there's a drop-off. Why did Bo Atkinson only play seven snaps? And that goes back to the coach, to, to the position coach. You're the guy that is putting guys on the field. You're the guy making those calls of who's going into the game. Why are you using a guy that much? Because, yes, he is your best defensive end. He is your best edge rusher. He's the guy that's gotten the most pressure. He's one of the best uh, edge rushers in the country. But here's the problem. He's going to be more effective. And you saw it early in the year when you were rotating him in and out, when he is fresh than when you're just working him to all hell because you're just worried about the drop-off. And then I'm not going to say I'm shocked. I was hopeful that Miles Murphy, because he was going to the NFL, this would be a game where he sort of wrecked shop. He finished with one total tackle in this game. Like, it's pretty much what it's been for him. But it's not only just him. I mean, Tamari Fox played a ton of snaps in this game. Didn't register a single tackle. He just announced on social media earlier tonight that he's pursuing the NFL. Like, look, man, I I don't know. I know you you caught a you caught a crap break last year when you got suspended for having a substance that you didn't know was illegal in your locker, which was, I mean, just some sort of like protein powder or whatever. I hate that for him because you wonder if that doesn't happen to him. Having to take a whole year off, maybe he is a better player, but man. I mean, this group is just the most disappointed. Like the edge rushers, you saw Des Evans finished with four pressures the other night. His biggest issue is that he just really can't help you right now in run defense. I thought this year he took a step forward, but it might be too little too late. Um, we liked what we saw from Bo Atkinson. And, and as I mentioned with Cayman Rucker, he was tremendous this year. The interior of this defensive line, I mean, there's just no way to describe it. It's terrible. It's 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 absolutely pathetic the way that this group looks with all of the talent that they've got there. I mean, Murphy coming out of high school, four-star. Travis Shaw, five-star, can't even get on the field. Now, I don't know if that is a, a coach's decision that we need to question with Tim Cross, but, I mean, the thing is, is like when he's been on the field too, it's not like he has just been absolutely wrecking things and dropping guys for tackles for loss, and then we're sitting here wondering, how the hell is he not getting playing time? That, to me, if this defense is going to take a step forward, yes, you have to be able to get pressure off the edge. Your guys out there have to be able to defend the run better and seal the edge because you saw that be a problem the other night with the mobility of Green and the running ability on the uh, on the edges by uh, Jaheim White. But I think it all starts on the interior of that defensive line. And that's where they've got to start finding answers. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it all starts there. I mean, we watch football 12 hours on Saturday and 12 hours on Sunday. And football people tell you the game's won up front on both sides of the ball. When you're getting blown off the ball four or five yards, you ain't going to be able to compete. And until Carolina – finds a way to, to, to just get average, just be average, and and, and see how different your defense looks. Because um, you're right. It, that, that area is disappointing because you've identified what you thought was really good talent, 
And now maybe you just missed on them. Maybe those were dudes that were really, really good at the high school level that just didn't translate to the college level. We don't know, but, you know, at some point, you got to try something different. You got to try a different voice in that room. Mm -hmm. You got to just try a different combination to see if someone else can get the most out of them because Tim Cross has it. Um, And that's just the bottom line. And this is a results-driven business. Like, and when your results aren't there at the money you're getting paid, I don't really feel too bad for you if you get, if you get let go, because you can, like, you're going to be okay at the end of the day. And that has to be a decision that Matt Brown, if he's, if he's here doing what's best for the program and he's staying on board as head coach, something that I'm in in favor of, that's a decision you got to make. And you got to be like, if you can fire Dre Bly, you can fire Tim Cross. And I don't know what we're waiting for. Maybe we're waiting for the new year. I don't know. But that needs to be a move that is made this offseason, no question asked. Yeah, and I, I mean, look, and we'll talk about ultimately what changes need to be made. But with Tim Cross specifically, you don't even have to officially remove him from your staff. You just have to strip him of defensive line coaching uh duties like if you keep him like I get it he's a guy that's done some really good things for you recruiting wise if you want to have if you want him to have some sort of role there feel free if you want him to be involved as the team's chaplain because he's taken over that role then yeah you can keep him involved in that area but he just cannot coach your defensive line it's not working no matter how many times we you know we say year after year, okay, maybe this is finally the year. He's back as their D-line coach. Maybe this is the year that it clicks. Maybe this is the year that he throws some wrinkles in there. It doesn't happen. It's very basic what we see up front. There's no stunts. There's no twists. There's nothing like that along the defensive front. It's literally you just straight rushing after the quarterback or just trying to win one-on-one. And guess what? It doesn't work. It hasn't worked for years. Why is there nothing that is being done about that? Um, I think that's that's part of the conversation that has to be had. And Mac Brown's a very loyal guy, but yeah, that's one of those guys you have to look at. Well, another area that you may have to look potentially to make a change, and, and this would be unprecedented because it would be, what, the fourth time they would make a change here would be special teams. Special teams the other night, was a complete disaster. And now look, I will say this. You had a lot of new guys that were out there on special teams, but you allow a 78-yard punt return touchdown, which was really just a horrible punt by Tom McGinnis. I get it. When, when you look at you know punters, a lot of people at home will just look at a box score with those guys. They see a long punt and they think, that's tremendous. It was a long, low-line drive. You've got a bunch of inexperienced guys uh, that were not used to covering punts because you lost a lot of those guys to the transfer portal that were big parts of your special teams group uh, throughout the season. So you had a bunch of inexperienced guys out there and you punt one that low uh, and and long, outkicked your coverage, it leads to an important touchdown. You have the ball that bounces off of Christian Hamilton's legs and is recovered by West Virginia in the second quarter. And then – the kick catch interference on Chris Culliver 
Um, I got that mixed up, by the way. Christian Hamilton's, uh, the one that bounced off of him, actually resulted in a missed field goal, but still was an opportunity for West Virginia to score in that first half. The kick-catch interference on Culliver in the third quarter, that was the one that led to the field goal that got the Mountaineers on the board in the second half. Before that, Carolina had done a pretty good job defensively and was setting themselves up. Who knows if they end up, uh, you know, that 15-yard penalty doesn't take place. Carolina makes the stop, um, you know, where they did on the drive, only allows the same amount of yards. Uh, West Virginia probably doesn't end up kicking the field goal, and Carolina, you know, potentially still has a chance to tie the game at that point. So, I mean, special teams, a complete disaster once again. And, look, I don't know how much of this is on Larry Porter I think, you know, the fact that you didn't have Ben Kiernan who gets hurt on a play that is just complete uh, a freak action, although it was a it was a block punt, which I guess could go against him. Um, I, I think this is an area that Carolina really has to evaluate because, you know, they we've been saying for years, Matt Brown has been saying it, that this is an area that he wants to get better in. It feels like this year, finally, you get the field goal kicking that you wanted. And yet every other area of this special teams unit seemed like a complete disaster for Carolina. And it all culminated with what we saw the other night in Bank of America Stadium. Look, you charge me $8 for a soda and $12 for a beer. Go hire a special teams coordinator. Quit asking someone to do double duty. Hire someone. To, that, that, that's all his job is he studies special teams and he critiques it. And he evaluates it 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days out of the year. There's no excuse. You've got the money. You've got the resources. Go find the best freaking special teams coach you can find. Pay him the money and correct it. It's that simple. It's, 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 it's really just that simple. When you've been this Pathetic isn't the right word. Inept, inept. Like for like for for for, for your entire five years, you've mm-hmm. been you've been inefficient or deficient in, in one or two categories. Yep, that loses you games every year. Fix it, fix it. Yeah, and I mean, it's like I said, the most frustrating part is really the area that was guaranteed that Carolina would not be good at was field goal kicking because they were, I forget what it was prior to this year. I think it was like the previous five or six years. Carolina had was tied for the most missed field goals of any team in the country during that span. And then this year, I mean, look, Brian Coe starts out, he gets hurt. The doors open for Noah Burnett. Noah Burnett was fantastic. He ends up getting second team all ACC and was deserving of it because he was tremendous for Carolina. Hit a bunch of important kicks throughout the year. He hit, you know, his only field goal attempt the other night. So he did his part the entire season. You look at Liam Boyd had to, having to take over the kickoff specialist duties. He was pretty solid the entire season. The coverage units were god awful. That's been a problem for Carolina for years now. They have to get better in that area. Um, the, the I mean, the punt protection was horrendous the majority of this. You had three punts blocked, and they came in what? Wasn't it like a five-week span that all those punt blocks happened? And it includes one that ends up ultimately getting your punter injured. Like, that just 
That is unacceptable. It cannot happen. And your return games, I mean, granted, they were hit with a lot of injuries. I mean, the kick return game, you had George Petaway opt out during the season. You had Doc Chapman enter the transfer portal before the final game of the season. So Chris Culliver was back there. Although in that area, yeah, he makes the mistake covering a punt. Although, I mean, that's a receiver covering a punt. You like to not have to have receivers out there covering punts, especially if Chris Culliver can be as impactful as you hope he can eventually be for you. But he, I mean, he looked solid in the kick return, but that area wasn't great for Carolina the majority of the season. This, to me, there, there have been some disastrous special teams groups for Carolina since Mac Brown came back. I mean, this was the worst. I, I thought this year was just uh, in every area but place kicking. This group was was just downright terrible, to be honest with you. Um, and, and it's if Carolina is going to be a team that eventually takes that next step, look, defensively, clearly that's the area they have to get much better. Your offensive line getting better is more important. There's no doubt about that. But special teams is a part of it as well. You have to get better on the special teams or else there's just no way that you're going to be a program that's going to be able to win at the level that Mac Brown has talked about and that the fan base expects you to win at this point. Well, let's let's go with a little positivity here. And let's talk about the guys that did shine a little bit in this game. Mentioned Amari and Hampton earlier, 19 k 74 yards, not the greatest game that he's played so far this year. But the most important thing to note is that he is just the second Tar Heel ever to reach the 1,500-yard mark on the ground in a single season. So he's second all-time in rushing. He passes Elijah Hood in this game and only sits behind Don McCauley. Now, look, next year, maybe he has a chance to make a run at that, although I think one of the things to note is that the book is kind of out on him. Teams know that he's a guy that's, uh, that, that Carolina is going to lean on heavily, um, but it really just comes down to the offensive line being able to block. I think the more impressive thing is that you, I, I go back, and I haven't seen the updated stats on this because I wasn't able to track down the website, but I remember Jordan Falls tweeting out, who does a great job over at Keeping It Heel. Um, he tweeted out a graphic. I believe it was right before the Duke game. Um, of where Carolina ranked in yards before contact on the ground. And Carolina was ranked like 91st, somewhere in that range. So Amari and Hampton, not only did he have a massive season, but he did it pretty much with no blocking in front of him. So, I mean, for him, I mean, this is, this is an amazing feat. Uh, and look, he wasn't the only guy, though, that shined on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, you talked about Gavin Blackwell earlier. Uh, I think for him, it was really cool seeing him bounce back. First game of the year in the same stadium, Gavin Blackwell got the opportunity to start. He had two massive drops for Carolina. It didn't really get better as the season went along. Eventually, he suffers the concussion in the game against Minnesota, and we don't really see him again for the rest of the year. He gets this opportunity in this game. And this was his best game that he's played. Three receptions, 78 yards. I thought he looked fantastic. That one catch on the throw from Connor Harrell, which was a really great throw, but also a great job to haul it in. Really liked what I saw from him. And I also liked what I saw from J.J. Jones. Led the team in receiving this year. Four catches, 53 yards in this one, and a great leaping touchdown grab 
uh, that would have counted in NFL terms. Great job by him to put his hand underneath the ball, hold on to it. Um, I think that we saw Carolina has a great rusher that they can rely on next year, and they have a receiving core that, yeah, like I said earlier, even though they lack the superstar, the known superstar heading into next year, the guy showed you the other night there's a lot to be hopeful for. Yeah, they did. Um, happy for Maureen Hampton to reach such an achievement uh, feat at, at, at UNC. Uh, and then, yeah, you, you really wanted to see what you had in that wide receiver room. And you, 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 you were hoping that the way that you've recruited that position would help this transition be a little bit easier because you've had, you know, NFL caliber talent really since Mac Brown came back. You still have that in that room. And, and you know, with the catch that J.J. Jones made, Gavin Blackwell was a, a big target down the field that you can win on the outside. And Carolina's going to need that in their offense next year. Um, and, you know, I said going into the game, like that was the reason to watch, whereas to find the guys that, you know, you can learn about and get excited about. And you you found a couple of those guys on the offensive side of the ball, um, along with Connor Harrell. And, you know, I, I, it's it's why, you know, I know a lot of people are down after a bowl loss, but there's still reasons to be optimistic that this team will at least be fun to watch you know, and competitive in 2024. Yeah, and the young guy that I have to point out on the defensive side of the ball is Caleb Cost. I thought he was fantastic in this game. Um, I mean, he had two pass breakups, including the one where he just absolutely lights up the West Virginia receiver. Clean hit, great job to get his hand in there, knock the ball away. Um, you know, he's out there. I mean, he was out there, tough situation. First career start for him, didn't really play the majority of the season, even after he was listed, you know, opener. Carolina doesn't, uh, they were going to start Elijah Huzzy on the outside. Thought Caleb Cost would see action there, didn't see it, but he stayed ready. And in this game, I mean, finishes with five total tackles, which was near the top. I think it was like tied for fourth on the team overall. So active, you know, in the run game, uh, tackling in space as well. And, you know, the thing that I liked most about him was in coverage. I thought he did an outstanding job. He allowed one of his four targets to be caught for nine yards. This is a guy that you can feel confident about. Now, the thing for him is, is he a guy that can play on the outside? Is he a guy that, I don't know, maybe Carolina looks at and, and says they'll keep him in the slot and now allows them to move Elijah Huzzy to the outside? I don't know. DeAndre Boykins will, of course, factor in there as well. Although, to be honest with you, DeAndre Boykins, when you allow over 600 yards in coverage in a single season, I find it hard to not at least want to take a look at Caleb Cost over him and see if that's something that could work long-term. But I thought that was the one guy defensively that stood out. Now let's talk about two of the more polarizing topics here as we get ready to wrap you up here about 13 minutes until uh, tip for uh, the Tar Heels against Charleston Southern. First, what did you make of the crowd? A lot of people fired up about this. A lot of people around the country calling out Carolina fans for not showing up for this bowl game. I went on a rant early in the season for the game in the season opener against South Carolina. I was not happy with the fan turnout. Before the game, I was challenging fans to show up to that one. 
to me, this one felt different, but a lot of people really use this as a way to look at the Tar Heels and say this is an example of why their fan base isn't loyal. <sighs> I'm going to be brutally honest with you. Unless you just wanted, you wanted to travel to Charlotte because you've never been to the Queen City, bowl games – or a waste of your time your and, and your money. Like, I'm not going to be mad at fans not spending the money on tickets, the money on hotels, the money on parking, the money on food and beverages to watch a different team than what you watch in the regular season play. Like, that's something that these bowl games need to do a better job of doing, is ticket prices need to be different, for you know, because this is in the old days where your premium players played. It's not happening anymore. Like, if, if, if they're not in a New Year's Six Bowl game, and as we've seen in the last couple of years, even a New Year's Six Bowl game, if it's not a playoff game, your best players are going to sit out. And, you know, with the way the weather was, we did rain for two straight days in Charlotte. Uh, it rained again on Wednesday night um, as, as you were getting ready for the game. I wasn't upset with it because I live in – I live – 35 minutes away from Bank of America Stadium, and I wasn't spending any money to, to go to the game. Um, I could have went to the game as a member of the media, and I chose not to. So I'm not mad that fans didn't, they didn't spend their money because if I was in their position, I wouldn't have done I wouldn't have done the same thing. Yeah, I mean, look, I I I want. I, I was hoping I would be able to go as a member of the media, but because of the work schedule, it wasn't able to work out that way. And, and look, it is what it is. We got a great opportunity on the main airwaves. We're going to take that ten day, you know, seven days out of the week of, of, of all seven days. I don't know what I'm trying to say there, but um, I, I mean, I don't really blame fans because here's the thing: you started the season six and zero. And you end up back in Charlotte. Like, how can you get mad? And I think part of it is sort of a message that if something doesn't get done, then fans are not going to be there next year. Or at least until changes are made. Like, my thing is, is I honestly wonder if they made a change at defensive coordinator. Do you think that the, the stands would have looked the same? Probably yeah. not. No, because people would want to see, okay, what what is Carolina's plan? Now, you wouldn't have that new D.C. with you. You'd have to wait. But still, I mean, yeah, you, you, had, you had some big names opt out. I think that certainly played a factor. Although, to me, that's one of those things where it's like, if you're basing your decision off of that about guys that aren't loyal to the program or whatever. Well, there are guys that are out there playing that are loyal to the program. So why wouldn't you show up for those guys? The thing that to me, I, I think it's really hard to criticize people for the first game of the year to me is a little bit different because there was so much energy. You're talking about Drake may being a guy that came into the season, one of the Heisman favorites, this was a team that had really – I mean, I know it, there, there were still people that were tempering their expectations for Carolina. In a lot of Tar Heel fans' minds, this was a team that they had high expectations for. 
So it was the people that were saying, well, I expect this team to win 10 games. And then we're saying, but I'm not going to go and support them in the first game of the season because it's too hot. It's, uh, you know, I, I mean, look, ticket prices I get for that were expensive. But to me, that game means more than the game that was played on Wednesday night. So, yeah, of course I want fans to show up. This one, I mean, yes, the ticket prices are outrageous, even close to game time. They were absolutely insane. I looked and I said, because the day of the game, I was like, well, if they're that cheap, if they're like, if they're like 20 bucks, why wouldn't you decide, okay, we'll go across the street and we'll watch it. No, they were still in the 50, 60, $60 just for that. You then have to pay to park. You have concessions that you have to pay for. That is easily a hundred dollars just for yourself. And if you buy for somebody else or something like that, if you have a family, I mean, you could be paying three, four hundred dollars to watch a bowl game. By the way, in a stadium that you've seen before, that's the other allure of this, right? If this game, let's say they played in the, I was going to say New Era Pinstripe Bowl, but that's no longer Bad Boy Mowers Pinstripe Bowl. Game's in Yankee Stadium. It's in New York City. That's an experience for not only the players but for the fans. So maybe at that point, fans say, "Okay, our guys. You know, we don't have Drake May. We don't have Ted's Walker, but." That's a really cool experience. Why don't we go up there and watch that? And we'll go to the bowl game as well. We'll pay a little bit of extra money. We're in, it's not a historic venue because it's not the old Yankee Stadium, but it's still, you know, a pretty special venue in the sports world. It's in the biggest city in America. There's, a, it, it's a tourist destination. Like those would be things you'd want to do. In Charlotte, guys, fans have been here before. So there's not that allure of coming to Charlotte for the first time, unless, yeah, there are some people that were making the trip. West Virginia is also a group that travels well. Um, their fan base, I mean, look, they were fired up. Carolina fans weren't. So I can't really blame them for that. Now, real quick, we got like five minutes here. In terms of changes to the staff, we'll stay away from Mac Brown because I think that's a conversation that we can have on a separate edition of the podcast and ultimately what we think of, of where he's at. But changes on the staff, he hinted that he will be making changes to the defensive staff. He told Inside Carolina, source told Inside Carolina, that I guess this is something that he must have already decided. Now, that brings up a whole other question of if you've already decided that, why the hell did you wait uh, until after the bowl game and after you have already had your defensive side staff recruit guys in uh, on the 2024 uh, trail and in the transfer portal – um, but what do you think ultimately, if you had to make the staff changes yourself, what moves are you making? Um, new. If you're keeping Gene Chizik, you're firing every assistant and giving him free reign to hire coaches that he wants to coach with. Well, um, I'll say this. Charlton Warren's not leaving because that's one of his guys. And I believe, I mean, you would imagine he had – some sort of say in hiring Jason Jones, right? So those two guys probably stay, but the other two, and I got to be honest, I'd support it. I love Tommy Thigpen. I think he's done some good things, but when the run defense is as bad as it is, right, he's got to shoulder some of the blame at some point. So that's where I am defensively um, on the offensive side. If you want to go get another offensive line coach, I'm not going to be mad about it because you got to you got to keep trying something to get it right and then get a special teams coordinator. Mm -hmm. Like, but like you know, I, I I'm not against moving on. I'm not against keeping Gene Chizik. I've seen him coordinate a good defense here before. 
a defense that can help this program play at a high level. But, you know, let him have full authority of, of who is on his staff and who isn't. Yeah, um, I, I would say I, I kind of agree with what you're looking at. I, I would not fire Randy Clement, I, uh, Clements. I, I would keep him in place. I think you need some sort of stability there. I think that's the biggest thing. I think Randy Clements is a good offensive line coach. It's just this was his first year. He's coaching guys that have been in two other different systems. And, again, when I look there, I really do think that's a talent problem. Whereas on the other side of the ball with Tim Cross along the defensive line, I think you brought in so much talent, there's no way that every one of those guys just isn't living up to their billing because they're not talented enough. And we're misevaluated. That seems like a development issue. Um, Tommy Thigpen is one of those guys. I mean, look, you can't put the blame on him for why this team has not been good in run defense. But at some point, I mean, the linebackers, I'm not going to say they've gotten worse in run defense. You saw, I mean, the thing is, they don't rotate guys. That's something that he that he has to shoulder the blame for there. Um, but, I, I mean, I think that's probably, you need to make some sort of changes on that side of the ball. So that would probably be the other area that I'm looking at. Special teams, yes. Larry Porter is not going anywhere as your running backs coach. He's phenomenal. That was a, a an outstanding hire after Robert Gillespie went to Alabama. But you need somebody that is special teams focused and can get the best out of this unit because it is so important. And... I mean, yeah, other than that, like, I don't see any other problems on the offensive side. I know there are people that are not happy with Chip. I think with Chip, the thing is, you want to see him definitely be better in the red zone than he was this year because the numbers really weren't that far off from Phil Longo. But at the same time, I like a lot of the things that he was going to do. So, yeah, those are the changes that I would make. But to me, you said that you still think Mac Brown's the right guy for the job. To me, I think there's more of a question and maybe – uh, later on, uh, you know, probably early next week, we'll talk about that. Now, the thing is, there could be staff changes upcoming. If there are, we'll have you covered over on the website, keeltoughblog.com. Make sure you guys head over there and check out all the coverage that we got on that. Transfer portal, recruiting, anything that is going on around Tar Heel football, we have you covered on that front. Uh, plenty of other off-season articles that will be coming your way, including final grades for the team. They're not going to be anywhere as near as good as the mid-season grades, which were a ton of fun. Going to be a lot of uh, those grades going down uh, as we get uh, as we close out the season. So you won't want to miss that. And, of course, the basketball side of things, a whole bunch of stuff on the website for you guys. And, of course, you can check out the Four Corners podcast as well. Uh, me and Josh taking you through basketball season uh, with that podcast. Uh, so make sure that you guys uh, check that out. But for now, it's time for us to step away. And it's time for the boys to take to the court at home for the first time since the game earlier this month against Florida State. Uh, Carolina against Charleston Southern. Me and Josh will have you covered on the podcast side of things with the recap uh, later on during the weekend. And he'll have you covered uh, later on tonight with the recap. But for now, head over, uh, watch the game, and uh, enjoy. Thanks for watching this edition of the podcast uh, and listening for those who are listening to this edition. Um, and as always, go Tar Heels!